Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. I'm Gil Gross, host of Monday Match Analysis with outstanding tennis journalist Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. First week of the French is coming to a close as we enter the weekend. Amy, uh, throughout the tournament, conditions have been a story, and you're taking a, a closer look at Rafael Nadal and how the conditions might affect him. Well, you guys know I love to crunch the data and try to look at things that people are interested in. There was some sentiment that conditions might throw a wrench in Rafa's run through this. So I wanted to look at temperature and humidity and the ball, which is the ball change, which has been a big controversy. So I'm going to be coming out with a story that looks at those three metrics and maybe some others historically. Um, what has Rafa done with different balls? What has he done in different temperatures and different humidities? So that'll be fun, but I'll give you a little preview. Um, let's just say that we're doing this show three for a reason. Uh, this guy's pretty good in, in all kinds of different conditions. Joel, what would you expect the results to be? Like if you were to predict? Nadal mostly kicks butt at Roland Garros. <laughs> Uh, but but I think I think what's kind of intriguing to see is how obviously we know the thinner weather, the ball bouncing higher. The curiosity I had a week ago before the tournament started was, wow, is the ball bounces lower? What's that going to do? Or how's that going to help? Or what kind of ball? Or how's he going to adjust? And Nadal, he hadn't played as much. That was also a thing we've talked about, about he didn't have as much play experience. But again, I mean, you see around the sport, the great players, you know, you say, okay, we're going to play no ad. You say, we're going to play tie breaks. They're just, they adjust to those situations because the other players have to adjust to it too. And they're just so good. I mean, Nadal, Nadal and the comfort of Roland Garros is probably like nothing, nothing in just about any sport. I mean, to win this kind of title 12 times is just, uh, is just amazing. So, and so far, He's looked pretty good so far. What have you been seeing when you've been watching some of his tennis skill? Well, he looks really good, but it's hard to say because I, I don't see anyone really pushing him. So I'm seeing him, you know, mostly getting to lean in to all of his forehands. No one's really putting him on the run and making him defend. And, and those are the things I'll kind of be looking for because let us not forget that, you know, if you look at Nadal's data throughout his career, what that doesn't account for is how he's changed as a player. So more and more, I've kind of thought that Nadal wants uh, the court to be a little bit quicker so that he doesn't need to play the long rallies and grind and defend as much and that he can use his forehand to really take over the match. What I'd like to learn is how this uh, indoor Chatrier play is playing. You know, indoors, roof, um, it looks great. It's really fun watching... Uh, clay court tennis under lights. I mean, it's really vivid on the screen and you see uh, the players and the colors. It's just wonderful to, to take in. And uh, seeing him play uh, Sebastian Corda is going to be interesting. You know, Corda, I was at his press conference, his Zoom press conference after his match. And uh, he said he has a cat named Rafa. Nadal's his idol. Nadal's the reason he's into tennis. And so I wrote my story. I said, well, he's, he's held the cat. Now he'll face the line. <laughs> 
I just think that I, I mentioned off air and I'll just tell this little story that I went to play tennis with a group of very knowledgeable fans and one of them said well conditions are heavy you know the ball picks up a lot of grit and it's heavy it's heavy out there whatever that means and somebody like Stan Vavrenka, who's strong as an ox, he's going to win this thing. Well, I just, knowing that I've been looking at this data, I kind of looked at the guy like, oh, okay. Um, and sure enough, Stan lost. That being said, um, Stan, in his first couple of matches, played very well for a guy that a lot of people have written off. Well, I think Rarinka, um, God, I never, anyone who wrote Rarinka off, they thought he wasn't going to be a contender. They don't know tennis very well. I mean, that guy, he's a specimen and he works hard. And he played some great tennis is crazy. He's 35 now, so we're intrigued. But 35 is kind of the new 28 in tennis these last few years. And uh, uh, Rarinka, yeah, he kind of ran into a tough opponent, Gaston. But uh, yeah, this the heavy conditions. But again, Nadal, it's like, it's like the times I've talked to, uh, I've been at tournaments with Spanish journalists, and they say, he's just Nadal. And I know it's kind of like Pele. It's like the, the Cher or, or Madonna. I mean, the one word Nadal. And he's like, he is really like nothing else I think our sport has ever seen and maybe will see. I mean, this is the guy, I've said this before, I'd want to play for the fate of the planet. I mean, of our, of our three, he's the one I would want to play that one significant match. And I don't care what the surface is. But don't we agree that while surface might not matter against the 99.9% .9 of players that Nadal is just plain and simple better than, it's when he meets the team or the Djokovic where conditions can actually swing the matchup. Well, that's why we're looking to see how that possible semi with team they played twice in the finals the last two years. And now, again, seeing how the elements play into it. And Dominic having earned his first major. So is that bring him a conference? Though, funny, again, I was at Team's press conference the other day. And he said, I'm going to run out of energy at some point. He knows. He knows that. I mean, he's, been play, he's, he's on this role of playing great at New York. And then he comes over here and hasn't been tested that much. So let's see. Is he going to finally just hit empty? I mean, that would, just, that would be amazing. It'll be one of the most incredible things ever in the sport if team wins both these tournaments in the same. I mean, Joel, like forget the conditions for a second. The fact that Rafa to win this thing would have to go through both team and Djokovic. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, Gil. Uh, well, I mean, team, as Joel just pointed out, you could get a drop off and, you know, you might not, but you might. And the Vavrinka loss probably helps Dominic in, in the next round. Uh, but then it might be Diego Schwartzman, and that could be a really tough and physical match. Good point. Yeah. That, so, so. But, but, yes, at, at the, on the other hand, absolutely the bottom half of the draw with Nadal and team, it's Djokovic who's kind of the lottery winner because that's just how it is. When you have three contenders, one of them is going to be on the, side, on the half without the other two. So that is a big factor here. Well, and this gets to your point, Gil, about then how – okay, Nadal versus 99.9% .9 of the players, and now it's team, and now it's Djokovic. So I think we should swing our way into the, the other of our three, Novak, and how well he's been playing. What's your thought on how, uh, what you've seen from his tennis? 
It's impeccable. And we talked about um, what the odds are, who's the favorite of this tournament, just because, not because I'm into gambling or anything like that. I'm not, and I never predict. But I, the, what the odds makers set as the favorite is an actual, it's like a market force. So uh, Gill informs us that Novak is a slight favorite for this thing. Um, and I think it has less to do with anything that Rafa is doing or conditions or anything that Rafa hasn't done, more to do with the fact that Novak is just playing almost immaculate tennis. Right, and he does have the skills. At, at least he's beaten here, Nadal here once, and, and he's won the tournament, and um, he's played very well against Nadal the last number of times they've played. He also seems that he's... Uh, that New York default is so pre-Labor Day. I mean, that just seems now so long ago, doesn't it? Right. Maybe it matter. has to do with everything that's going on in politics, but that seems like three years ago. What's, there things, oh, yeah, that's right. So with Ife Novak, is he, is he leading in some of the key states? Like, what is that <laughs> Pennsylvania? Can we do, Amy, can you do, a, can you do a study that connects, like, electoral college results to clay court and major results? You know, kind of like a cross- no. Study. <laughs> well, he's got competition in Serbia if he wants to run for president between him and Nikola Jokic. It used to be straightaway Djokovic, but now it's getting a little tight there. Here's okay. the thing. Here's the thing with the early rounds. Um, I'd be curious to know if where you two stand on this. I used to really put the early rounds under a microscope and try to decide what was more impressive, Federer's 6-2, 6-3, win, or Nadal's 7-5-6 love 6-2 win. And it's like, oh, who's playing better? And I've just kind of learned to be like, okay, they're both good. We, we haven't seen anything yet. There's really nothing to draw other than, you know, every, everything is all in well. And until they face a player who, who's really going to punish them for dropping the ball short and serve big and, you know, do, do things that make things difficult for them on the tennis court – you just don't really know where, where their level is at. That's fantastic. I agree with that. And also there's a, um, you know, look how many Cinderella's we have in the draw this year. Lucky mm -hmm. loser, lucky loser, qualifier. But also, what's the ranking? What's the ranking given the fact that no one has played many matches for major parts of this year? People have been, they're being tested for uh, a virus. So the whole, so in a way, if you look at your past Roland Garros or majors, well, gee, at least the guy who's ranked 27 will have played 15 clay court matches over the course of the spring and gotten some sharpness. But in a way, it's kind of like the, the better players even more in an advantage position now, particularly when you look at court assignments. You know, Novak and Rafa, no, the rain's not going to stop their progress at all. And these other people with this ambiguity about when's my match get on, what time am I playing? And, and no one, you know, the no one watching, though, that tends to, that maybe that, maybe that helps the player who's not as familiar with that. Maybe. Maybe. But so you're... I think that, I, I think the no one watching thing or lots of people watching has more to do with personality than ranking. Agreed. But that's just me. I would agree. I agree. There's certain players I've seen, oh, they're waiting for it. But by now, I think it's been going on for enough weeks that people, okay, this is what we're doing here. And... Uh, and again, but these players who are lower ranked, they've even less experience. So what they bring to it, who knows? And so, but odd things happen. I mean, like, like Rorinka losing to Gaston, I think that was 6-0 in the fifth set. 
So bagels in the fifth. I, I kind of think the reason odd things happening is because of the conditions and they are so slow that I think it's become a real, a bit of a grind fest and it's, it's kind of a throwback. You see some clay court specialists winning some players who are just willing to run. And, you know, I, I look at a match um, like Dennis Shapovalov against uh, Carbias Baina or Baena. I mean, that was, Shapo has 10 times more firepower than, than the Spaniard. But Carbias Bena, with these in these conditions, could really just sit back and try to to win on shot tolerance and um, just make less mistakes. And that's why I think we're seeing a lot of upsets. That was a great match. That was a fantastic match. That was probably the best match of the tournament mm-hmm. so far. And Dennis served for it twice and uh, up and down. And yeah, well, I think we talked about this before. The more simple playing style, less things to do. It's going to be easier when you haven't played in a while. For example, if we want to talk about conditions and things, this is not friendly for Roger Federer. Roger Federer is sitting at home right now. Wow, I'm 39 years old. My body, my one-handed backhand, uh, my movement. I want to play when it's like 54 degrees outside. I don't think so. It's hard to finish points, Joel, right? right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got to be really smart um, or grind one or the other. I mean, I've, I've also seen a lot of very um, good pattern play where people are just running their patterns very well and approaching the net and, and running the high percentage zones. You can do that and do it really well, or you can grind your butt off. And, you know, that's, we've been seeing a lot of that. Well, I wrote, when I wrote about uh, Galan beating um, Tennis Sandgren, the other day, I said, yeah, he put into mind a very fundamental tennis principle. The net is lower in the middle. And so he cross-court, cross-court, cross-court. Okay, inside out. That's still over the low part of the net. Keep going. You're right. And, you, and, that, and it's patterns. And this is kind of like a little bit uh, throwback clay court tennis. I mean, we've been used the last 15 to 20 years to what I call the more, the more explosive, you know, not attrition-based, but more, more dynamic. I mean, nobody who watches tennis thinks of Nadal as a defensive player. He's He's striking. He's looking to create and, and hurt someone. So, and now we've, there's a little more in this tournament of more just kind of grind and, and stay in points and that kind of tennis. Wow. I, I do think of Rafa as a defensive player and an offensive player. Well, to too. me, he's, he's the guy who does the right thing in every scenario. I'd go with that. I mean, go with that. I just think of him as, I think, I think some of this offense defense stuff is kind of, gets confusing it's like uh the way you know because Nadal seemed to start off or even the people who even folks when they say why are these guys so standing far back it's defensive no no it's not really defensive mm-hmm. until until proven otherwise I mean we've talked about that we're going to be talking a lot more about court positioning with these guys and it's uh it's fascinating by the way raise the roof um if that's still an expression that people use our discussion on our last podcast about the underarm serve i mean how pertinent did that end up being oh my god it's the tournament of the underarm serve everyone's whipping it out <laughs> is it called i always call it the underhand serve you call it underarm serve what do you guys call it i i my new thing is just to call it the underserve oh the underserve i yeah, used to call it a drop serve you know and That's what uh, it really should be called Mackie McDonald. Mackie McDonald, who tried one against Nadal, Mackie McDonald, who I think, I forget if I've mentioned this on our show, who I played when he was 11, um, he didn't have a pretty good one against Nadal. He gave him a feed. 
he's like a feed <laughs> in some clinic. I mean, I mean, and and I saw I saw some tweets where talk, people were talking about learning it. It's simple. You practice ten minutes a day. You do it ten minutes a day for a week, and there you, it's it's not hard. I don't know. You ever you ever practice it, Gil? Never in my life. <laughs> Amy. Um, I'm learning actually how to feed because I'm told that's a really good skill to have, even if you're not. So I, I'm working on that sort of motion. I got one but... for you. I got one for you both. Do what I do. I try do it as a backhand. Do the underhand serve as a backhand, like you're hitting a sliced backhand. <laughs> you get the inside corner of the ball, and there you go. I mean, that's that that to me that to me is about as easy and natural as you know as as Gil hitting a a Thompson foreign that bounces you know, a foot inside the baseline. Joel, you got to show me that because I don't understand. I'm facing with my left shoulder towards the net and I'm reaching this way yeah. across. Yeah, it's called the back. Yeah. Don't That's they right. know what's coming at that point? What? How would so, you do that? It's like hitting a slice Joel, back. Joel needs a demo. We need a demonstration feeding, at some point. Feeding a backhand. How do you do it in the ad court? You do it in both courts. Well, we'll, 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 we're we'll going to need, we're gonna need a, yeah, we we'll need someone to film have Joel have and Joel will off-site. show us. We'll all have special teams. We'll all have certain things that will show one another. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's Maybe a good we idea. Maybe you could show us the dynamic foreign approach shot and I'll show you guys some corners of the ball. <laughs> well, guys, let's go back to, to the grind fest that, that we're watching here because I, to me, that's not Nadal's game anymore and that's not Djokovic's game anymore either. And I think in, you know, 2011 through, for Nadal, it goes back further, but 2011 through 2015, Nadal and Djokovic were, were happy to go at each other gladiator style and go at everyone else gladiator style um, and really rely on their physicality. And I haven't seen that in a very long time. I'm just not, that's not how they're winning. That's not how they're playing. So I'm really curious to see uh, what, this looks like if if Djokovic or Nadal runs into a match scenario where they're really having trouble hitting through the court, ending points, finding offense, you know, what will be their plan when that happens? Well, look, these guys can just still fall back on, not fall back, but shot tolerance and quantity because they know it's just going to take, it might just take longer. It might just take longer. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what some of the shot point rallies are from this maybe you know how long the rallies are but in a way Nadal is going to think like Nadal if you play someone like what like a Schwartzman or someone like that okay you want to do this you want to do it this way we'll do it that way all day long I mean again both Novak and Rafa are incredibly consistent players who don't make many errors so they'll just okay we'll do that you want to you want to go for a long drag race we'll go for a long drag race and we'll just hunker down We'll do this because we won't think of either of them as, in, as impatient. I mean, Novak's metronomic and Rafa is dynamic, and we'll just kind of go to it. A lot more impatient than they were. They well, used a lot to- more forceful. I wouldn't, I mean, you don't mean impatient, you just mean a lot more assertive. Well, why I, I don't seeing- see it this way at all. Like, what, okay. what I see is I know that Rafa's coach, Moya, uses analytics and I know that Rafa does things like runs all the way around his backhand to hit forehand. And even in the most extreme 
natural backhand zone of the court. So he runs very specific patterns. And if you do that, like if you, if you hit to what they call the B zone, um, you, statistically, you're going to yield a shorter ball. I mean, that's just what happens. And then you attack the shorter ball and you come into the net and you end the point. You do not have to grind. I mean, even in these conditions. So, and, and I know Novak uses the analytics too. So um, they scout their opponents very carefully. Um, so I don't think it, it needs to be a grind fest. Um, and I think as the tournament progresses, um, we may even see less of that. I'll tell you the match I'm looking that's in, that intrigues me when you think about playing styles would be if he gets there would be someone like Berrettini playing Novak. An I mean, absolute, I would predict an absolute blowout. <laughs> On behalf from Novak. Yes, I don't think I, – I think that's precisely the matchup that I'm looking for Novak to not have any trouble with. It's the player well, who, can, who can play a lot of defense, get a lot of balls back, who Novak might have, might have trouble just looking for ways to end the point, someone who's willing to physically dig in. And, and uh, that's where I could see um, these conditions really helping someone Djokovic. Yeah, because I mean, Berrettini has a big serve and, you know, is, is the big serve slightly mitigated against maybe the best returner of all time, who, at least from the baseline, doesn't appear to have a weakness. Um, Berrettini, on the other hand, has the weakness of his backhand, although I think that's a little overplayed because he has a very good slice on that wing. So I, you know, on paper, Gil, you're right. I think it would be um, very much in um, Novak's favor. However, Berrettini's having a very good tournament. Well, here's the way to look at it, though. The way to look at it, yeah, Novak being challenged by one of his, what I would call his little brothers, his, um, like, uh, the only guy who ever walked off the court having beaten him this year, Karina Busta, who we could play in the semis, too. And so that's one kind of style and that's the long grind and Novak, oh right this guy this guy I remember him this is like a guy who plays like a lesser me so might he frustrate me on the other hand there's a Berrettini who has weaponry who's at least, he may go down in flames but he might not you know what I mean I, I see I see your point that Novak could destroy him in these kind of conditions on the other hand Berrettini at least might have a shot because he might attempt some things is that Matteo Berrettini is not going to hit Novak Djokovic off the court. That could be possible at, let's say, ATP Finals O2 Arena or, or at Wimbledon maybe, especially early on. But that's just not going to happen. I don't think the big hitters have fared well here at, at Roland Garros for the most part. And I actually thought they would because I thought they were going to be the only ones with the ability to hit through the conditions. Turns out the players who can really defend at an elite level and are willing to do a lot of running, they're the ones thriving. It's pretty clear to me that Novak is quite fine. Do you know what I mean? It's, if you look at it as a clock, Novak is nowhere near anything like midnight. Federer, we're, we're, we're deeply curious about. And Nadal, we kind of are too, because Nadal's whole career has been like that, given how many times he's had to pull out of majors and his injuries, et cetera. Yeah, we're deeply curious about it, and it's all kind of coming to a head in this tournament.
So as we look toward the latter rounds of this tournament, we're really going to get some answers about Nadal. Yeah, but we won't see. We're, we're not going to see his whole the whole fate. You mean the other? You, you can. Are you concerned, Amy, that he's going to fall down in a rash of rubble of a heap? And we're no, going to see. No, yeah. it's just um, the guy has won the French Open a lot of years in a row, and this is where the the pedal meets the metal, or whatever, whatever. I'm mixing metaphors, but something's got to give here. Either Rafa's going to win again, or um, he's not going to be up to the task. Well, if he's beaten, though, I don't think – if he's beaten, it depends on how he's beaten, and I don't think that – if he's beaten, just beaten by a better player who plays well, that's one thing, and I don't know – I'm not quite sure what that says about the future fate of Nadal. If he's physically – you know, if he comes – if he's taken out a Roland Garros on his shield with an injury or something that's physically like he has at other majors, then that, that casts a lot into 2021. Look, the guy skipped a Grand Slam this year, let's not forget. And, you know, the, the reasons given were COVID and load management, as they say in the NBA, um, you know, to, to um, rest his body for his beloved French Open. So I, I do think that this tournament is fascinating for Nadal in terms of what's going to happen next and how is he going to play. So do you think our three might COVID their way out of tennis? Do you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> almost like it, it took it took a pandemic to to open the door for other people. Like for example, the question is going to become who we had Stan and Murray. Who's going to win a second major? Who's going to? Well, we'll see. I mean, it's such a it's so wacky and it is interesting how how these three how it's coinciding with these things in the world and timing and and we'll be talking in the future about Australia and all these things. I do kind of see eye to eye with Amy in this respect. I think this is going to be a real physical test. That's just what I'm seeing. It goes back to what we started the show with, with conditions. And uh, I mean, I just really think that whoever wins is going to have to dig really deep and it's going to take youthful energy. So are the big three uh, up to the task? We are looking forward to, to getting the answers there. And uh, perhaps next week we will go into more detail about about um, some of these matchups that we do expect to see in the second week. But for now, uh, enjoy the tennis over the weekend and on the early stages of the second week. We thank you for listening. Make sure you like the video, leave a comment, subscribe on YouTube, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, and we will see you next time in the next episode of Free.